This is episode number 315. Are you aware of the external influences that impact your story? With Casey Berman and Lachelle Atkins. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming event in Austin, Texas on September 23rd called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. What this is, is a three-day experience where you will get a chance to hear stories from speakers from all over the world, as well as be a part of breakout sessions that are intended to help you identify the origins of your fears as well as ways to transform them. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding this upcoming event. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, we are back. Last week, I was struggling for air. influences. Um, you know, the altitude is so high here in Cusco, and uh, Casey was uh, in the front row of it all with Nancy. It was a uh, truly a challenge to be able to breathe. So I'm, I'm glad I'm able to somehow uh, control it better or something's different. I've, I don't, haven't really figured it out, but I think there is a difference <laughs> that I'm experiencing today. Uh, want to say hi to Melody here. She joined us here from Massachusetts. And uh, looking forward to having this conversation with the two of you because I'm in my last week of travel. And I've actually uh, been reflecting the past past seven months and all the different stories I created for myself for not being able to travel uh, seven months ago. And a lot of it had to do actually with the external influences, uh, influences and influencers, all the different reasons for why I couldn't do it, not enough money, not enough time, too many responsibilities, uh, how I'm going to be perceived if I choose to go down this rabbit hole, so to speak. And uh, I figured that maybe the best way that we've even kicked this off is, was there a time in your life where you felt that your narrative was controlled by external influences or influencers? And if so, how did you get out of it? How did you break away from it? Loaded question, as always. (laughs) Good morning to both of you and Melody. Good morning. Um, You know, I think definitely uh, I have seen Mm -hmm. a number of things transform in my life because of external influences. 
that I have allowed to take place in my life. And the biggest game changer, I think, for me is understanding that, you know, taking that accountability and responsibility for uh, the things that I have allowed in my own life to be an excuse or uh, a reason for me to keep doing what I do. <clears throat> so I think the best way that I was able to navigate through that was really simply asking myself the question, what about this can I control and what can I not control? Because mm -hmm. we can even control the narrative that we tell ourselves. You know, we attach meaning to things that other people may not um, find the same meaning for. You know, I hear all the time different versions of a story with my kids. It's like, now we all were here. How is your story different than everybody else's? You know, so I think there's a lot to being able to master your own mindset, uh, how you're able to explore different perspectives, as well as your own inner dialogue of what you're telling yourself that other people may not be uh, privy to as well. So I'm not sure if that quite answers the question, but I think it's something that we always have to navigate through, you know, to determine what we choose to take action on. Do you think to a degree those forces still dictate the direction of your narrative? I believe once you really take ownership of things, you know, you give yourself more grace and you're able to have more realistic expectations. You know, mm -hmm. I always tell my clients that, you know, when you want to get started with doing something different, make it so small that you'll do it every day. You know, it's not the key is not to think about how big you're going to end up being, but it's how consistent and disciplined you'll uh, do with starting something. And we really minimize small beginnings. We think, oh, it's not going to matter. It's not going to move the needle. But if you do a little bit every day, you know, try uh, eating something not healthy every day, just a little bit every day and see where that gets you in like 30 mm -hmm. to 60 days, right? Mm-hmm. I'm experiencing that right now, actually. My uh, my next adventure, I don't know if I've shared this with the two of you or the rest of the world, is actually going to be training for a triathlon mm. uh, once I get back. So it's about a six-month program that I'm going to follow <clears throat> uh, that will supposedly put me in the best shape to swim 2.4 miles, cycle 112, and then run the marathon at the end. But I, I, I agree with you as far as diminishing small beginnings, because mm -hmm. I was even thinking about it. And then I was talking to a couple of people who have done it and trying to get some insights into different ways that they've trained. And it was the same exact story. They said that they went into it thinking that a, it was challenging to begin with, but really the way to train for it is you have to do it incrementally. Like a, you can't start training with all three. You have to you have to break it down into days. So Monday you do a short swim, Tuesday you cycle, Wednesday you run, but that's only like week three or week six. Some days you some weeks you you take days off. And I was thinking mm -hmm. in my mind, well, how can you take a day off when it's such a um, rigorous schedule to follow or routine? But I, I hear your point as far as diminishing small beginnings and taking the small steps instead of just jumping in all at once because, I mean, 
to be honest, I I wouldn't be able to do all three all at once right now. No way. So true. I mean, because there's so much damage done when you stop. Yeah. You know, you think about it. If you've been on an exercise routine, I just finished a challenge uh, in a community for 75 days. And it's like the minute day 76 came, it's like, okay, what was I doing for the past mm -hmm. 75 days? It's not like uh, you have to have intentionality. But when you stop, it's so much harder to pick back up. And you would think that there would be uh, so much discipline built yeah. into that, you know, but yeah. Casey? Well, when you talk about external influences that impact our story and our narrative, which is another way of saying our identity, you know, that implies there's an internal. Mm. Uh, we live in a world of, of relativity. I think if you... If you if you think of when you die or you think of nirvana or you think of if you're religious, you think of God in heaven, um, that's sort of an all encompassing big white light that goes on forever. And and that's just it. Um, you know, yoga literally means unity. And so you're unified in in something. Um, but we live in a world, if you believe the Big Bang or whatever the case may be, that's, that's dualistic. Uh, we, we kind of compare ourselves to, we, we find our identity based on something else. Um, and so when you think about the external influences, whether it's what your parents said growing up, whether it's some tragic story, whether it's just what you hear day to day from, from TV or, or the internet, of course, that, that impacts who you are and how you're programmed. You have an identity, whether it's a name or a gender or where you're from. I think how you frame the question is really interesting. Are we aware of it? And I think we're aware of some, but a ton of it we're not. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's the tricky part. That's the part of the story and what we do where we really don't realize what we're doing. You know, we I we say this a lot, but that that Zen story about the fish in the water and two younger fish are swimming and another fi older fish is swimming by and the older fish looks at the two younger fish and says, you know, how's the water? And one of the younger fish looks to the other younger fish as they pass and says, what's water? Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's another term mother culture that um, that social scientists have talked about. But we live in a lot of these external influences that we're not aware of. And they go to the subconscious and we act. And so, you know, for example, a lot of people, there, there's research on mass murderers. There's research even on juvenile delinquents. And a lot of these people commit crimes for attention. Mm -hmm. There is a subconscious need or belief that the only way your identity is true the only way your story can really be recognized is if it's recorded somewhere. It's in the newspaper, it's on TV. Once it's recorded somewhere, then you've made it. And if that's the case, then many people who are very desperate and aren't playing football or in the headlines say, well, I got one shot at it. This is 15 minutes. And what's the easiest way to get in the headlines? Commit a crime. Now, people may not believe what I just said. There's research that points to it. Uh, but whether you believe it or not, this is the part of the the water that we're not really aware of. So I think the external influences impact our story. I think a small percentage of them we're aware of and we can point to. And I think a ton of them 
are not we're not aware of. That's okay. But I think the more you want to wake up from this, and I'm not talking woke politically because that's been taken a whole different way, but just more in the Buddhist sense of being enlightened, the more you sort of want to wake up from this existence we're in enables you to see some of these things that have were external you've brought in internally mm-hmm. and they really impact how we act behave and think positively but also not so positively mm-hmm. how do you become aware of things you're not aware of so you have to be humble you like carl jung said you have to really face your shadows it doesn't mean you overcome your fears because then that's an idea of achievement. You know, humans are like this, particularly, particularly many of us, what, what was, I don't know the right term anymore, but the West or Judeo-Christian traditions, Europe and America, right? Um, a lot of, of it's about achievement. How I mm-hmm. want to get enlightened. Come on, mm-hmm. now, I'm going to go and I'm going to do yoga and I'm going to sit or I'm going to go, I'm going to go to an ashram and I want to get it. Right. And so um, it's not really about achievement. It's, it's more around um, under, it's more around being quiet and Mm. it's more around if you, if you kind of take a step back from your thoughts, I'm not saying get rid of your thoughts. I'm not necessarily saying stop your thoughts. I can't stop my thoughts, but it's just removing yourself a bit from them so you can look at them. And I think when you do that, that gives you the bird's eye view or the proverbial 30,000 foot view. And you literally just see things in a different way. Someone, I heard someone very wise said that a miracle is literally just a shift in perspective. And Lachelle, you were talking about this earlier about how, how you look at things differently. Um, and so I think the way to do that is to, is to really consciously look at something differently. But if you look at it differently, that means you have to admit your current way of looking at it isn't working for you or yes. that your current identity, you need to change. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, you brought up something really um, interesting about facing your shadows, mm-hmm. you know, because I was uh, having a conversation the other day and uh, they mentioned that a shadow can only be seen in the light. You know, if you're in darkness, you don't see a shadow. And a shadow mirrors exactly what you're doing. However, one is tangible and one's not. I mean, you know, it's either you or the intangible shadow. So when you face your shadows, what is it that, you know, you are looking to explore or dive a little deeper with, you know, because. That's a good question. uh, Yeah. Well, I think it's a great question and it's a great point about the shadow because again, in this relative world that you're only, you know, we all, I think we want all light. Uh, we want all light and no dark. We want all good and no bad. Um, but we want all up and no down, right? We can go on and on. Right. Um, but the only way, you know, good is when the only way, you know, up is when, you know, down. Uh, a lot of this is just programmed into us and subconscious, but when you think about a lot of the self-development out there, there's, there's, there's a lot, I just think it's not realistic because there's a lot of this, like what they call bliss ninnies of just positive thinking and get the best, but it doesn't really prepare you when, when you get something that, when you get a shadow, 
Now a shadow, and I'm not an expert on, on Jung, but you know, a shadow is really that it's, it's going into the water. It's going into that water and seeing the things that are, that are programming you. Uh, and it's, so for example, my house was broken into when I was very young. I've told this story before. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was actually in the house. They, I had to get climb in through a window. My dad bumped me in and I had to go open the door. They had jimmied the lock and we caught them in the act and they ran out. And, you know, it's, as you can see, it's, it's been in my mind for a long time. Um, there are shadows involved with that, uh, around money, around safety, around my OCD with locking doors and things like that. And I have faced it. I've looked at it. Um, there's still more to do. It'll probably be a lifelong thing. But I think what I've done is for a long time, that shadow, I remember the incident, but I didn't pay attention to it. And I didn't look at it. I didn't examine it. And it just, I put a Band-Aid on it, but it was just there. And so teens, 20s, 30s, you know, I would lock doors 20 times and I had issues with money and it was, it was impacting me and I didn't know why. And then I had some help and finally remembered that memory and started facing it. And there are times where I'm like, don't check the lock again. Just walk away, go for your <laughs> house is fine. No one's going to break in different house, of course. Um, you know, so I have those and now I can laugh at it and now I can kind of talk to it in a bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm still facing my shadow. And so I think we have a lot of these, some of them are traumatic, like sexual abuse or house getting broken into. And some of them are just a teacher yelled at you or, or you didn't get accepted into a certain group and you've internalized it. And so the point is not that you need to face every fear. I mean, that gets kind of scary, but I think the point is really taking that light, which is just that you're seeing, not with not five senses eyesight, but just going and thinking, thought, analyzing, revisiting that memory, shining a light on it. So it's not some weird boogeyman, boogeywoman, but it's, 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 you're exposing it for all it is, and then kind of pulling the energy out of it. A thought is energy. And you mm -hmm. kind of pull that energy out. Mm -hmm. And you just, the energy will remain, but you just kind of suck that energy out, let it expire. Um, and, and it doesn't have that much control over you. It's really interesting that you bring that up. And, and for me, what's interesting about what you said, a couple of things first is I can't wait to meet you in person. And then from there, you know, hopefully I won't walk out of the the room and you lock the door behind me and I won't be able to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but the, the part where you mentioned uh, action for the longest time, whenever I was, especially when I was in school, I was taught, I, I was literally um, drilled this concept into my head that knowledge is power. And I believed that for many, many years until I was able to step away from education and this by no, no means me pointing finger at education. I'm sure that there are people in those systems who do teach the concept that knowledge plus action equals power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what ultimately I ended up realizing after graduating is knowledge plus action is power. It's not knowledge is power. Because right. mm -hmm. it's one thing to know what you just described, but unless I choose to act upon it and actually look it in the mirror and choose to challenge my beliefs, yeah. It's not going to change. Mm -hmm. It's always going to remain the same. In fact, what I have noticed throughout my own life, when I first believe that knowledge is power, 
I created an illusion for myself. I made myself the believe that I was actually changing X, Y, and Z narrative or perspective, but really I wasn't because I wasn't acting upon it and I wasn't introducing the new changes in my life. So it's really interesting how you bring that up as far as it's one thing to know something, but it's a whole other ball game to actually act upon it and mm -hmm. make the difference that you're mm -hmm. aspiring for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, action is, is kind of taking an idea, taking this intention, as you mentioned, Lachelle, and, and, and manifesting it and letting mm -hmm. it kind of form itself in, in, in this gross world that we're in. I mean, if you think about where we are, you've got the gross, the form. I mean, this is, even though most of us uh, were really made out of space, when you think about the world, I, I heard that if we were to collapse our bodies and all the tangible matter would fit in the middle, in, in the head of a pin, most of us are space. Mm -hmm. And so we think we're solid, but most of us are space. Most of the universe is space. Um, and the reason we know we're solid is because um, because we have space to compare it to. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. we think of space as nothing, as a void, as worthless, but it's not. We It's, it's very important to have. But um, it, it's bringing, but then you kind of move to more subtle and nuanced. Uh, you move in as you go up in the cosmos, um, whether this is spiritually, religiously, or from, from a physics standpoint, um, things become less and less gross, if you will, formed and tangible, and they become more nuanced and, and subtle. I mean, your thoughts are much more subtle than a nail or your finger, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, but the point is that when you can act on things in this world that we live in, you're then able to take a subtle thing, like a thought, and pull it in to this world into something gross that we our five senses can can comprehend um you know we view things i've heard this another i've i've, I've heard this idea that you know our consciousness and how we view things as people is like a spotlight i mean we're very focused on something usually it's something not necessarily beneficial did i mess up what did my boss say the spot on my shirt did you why see is it like that why do we tend to focus more on that than the other Okay, so as opposed to a consciousness that's more of a floodlight mm -hmm. that covers everything, and I think the wise and enlightened of the world see it all. They see everything in context, and then you realize a spot in your shirt or that bad news on the news really isn't that big of a deal. We, however, are just like this. Did you see what happened on the news at 1 p.m. as opposed to seeing the broader? Why do we do that? I think we do that because our consciousness and our way of viewing the world, going back to when you think of Darwinian evolution and our ancestors, the primates who first uttered words, created an identity. The first thing you can do is to say that the more focused you are on something, whether there's a threat down near the river 100,000 years ago, it enables you to hyper-focus on it and you don't die your 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 bag of skin and bones doesn't doesn't die from the predator doesn't die from the poison berries you need to be hyper focused on something so you get it right and getting it right is continuing to live and breathe and remain this body so it makes sense i mean the hyper focus of consciousness 
really helped us do what we thought was the most beneficial thing, which is to, which is to survive. But you know said, when the conversation is getting good, when Lachelle pulled out the notebook. and uh, <laughs> I am taking some notes, y'all. Good. Go, go ahead, Casey. Sorry, what that did for our consciousness, though, is that's pretty, that's pretty stressful. Mm. That's pretty stressful. Uh, an antelope, if you look, it gets chased by a lion in, in the Maasai Mara. What's great about their consciousness is they don't beat themselves up. When the lion's done and they're able to get away – they chill and they move on and they know what happened again, but they don't beat themselves up like, God, that was close. And boy, I should have run faster. And if I had only not eaten at that part, if I'd only listened to my mother, the line wouldn't have chased. They don't do that. We do. And we keep, and that's part of the thinking that we have. And to your point about knowledge, we then continue to beat ourselves up about it. And I'm not saying our ancestors 10,000, 100,000 years ago did that, but we do it now. So why do we have that sort of that floodlight consciousness? It helped us survive. The issue is that, again, there's no more line. We're not chased by lions. We have locks on our doors. And that boss who we think is the equivalent of a lion literally probably isn't really thinking about us that much. And what we think is the stink eye our boss gave us probably isn't. He or she has a lot else on our plate. But we have that perspective. Now, if we were just literally able to broaden our consciousness and our awareness and look out and look at other things and not focus so particular on that one issue, we can calm down. We're not so anxious. We're not so worried about it. And worries about something in particular, anxiety is that you can kind of, oh, I need to pay my bills tomorrow. Anxiety is just this general nebulous um, unease about something you can't even put your finger on, which makes it so horrible because how do you solve something if you don't even know what the problem is, right? Um, and that really focused spotlight type consciousness helps us create problems, helps us invent the light bulb, help us invent the electric car. But what it does also is we don't see, we're not aware of a lot of things beyond our five senses. And um, just like dogs and animals can hear things and sense things that we can't, there's unfortunately a lot that we're not seeing. And, and, um, that leads to all of the stress and anxiety that, and that we have in this world. Well, you know, I think that's really interesting what you brought up about how, you know, we analyze things that happen. And if I had only done this or whatever, but, um, you know, it's so interesting because as you choose to move beyond that type of mindset you know there's also this constant pull for people to ask you questions to take you back there you know so I think about you know my children well what was it like when you were a teenager you know my kids now they're like uh, the youngest ones are did you have Spongebob and when you were a kid did you watch that and I'm like they didn't even have it you know, so, or, you know, what did you used to do on the internet? I'm like, it wasn't even in existence, right? So there is this constant trip back to the past, whether you want to kind of move beyond it or not. So, you know, how is it that it's the best way to kind of navigate through that? I mean, I kind of had a little bit of this situation the other day. I took my daughter 
to a modeling gig that she had. And so she had to make a financial decision about it, you know, to determine if it was something she really wanted to do. And, you know, immediately she called my husband and other family members that are not in the modeling industry. And so I told her, I said, look, you know, this is a investment in you and you're asking people that don't have any idea what the modeling industry is, what are the steps to take to build that um, name for yourself or whatever, you know? So I said, you know, I would think that you might want to consider talking to people that are in that industry because as a result, you're going to end up with other people questioning you about things that you're not even strong yeah. enough to deflect because you haven't done your research. But if you ask the right people, they would give you an answer to where you could feel more confident about your decision, right. you know? I've even found with that, though, uh, at least my experience has been there was a, a almost a specific age I had to get to in order to be able to accept uh, external influences and opinions from others as something that I can chew on and process and possibly make a decision on. I know for me, when I was younger, no way. I mean, my, ask my parents. My parents had a difficult time convincing me of certain things like emptying the dishwasher. You know, I would ask why so many times until the point where my mom would literally submit and just empty the dishwasher herself. But I, I think that, and I don't know if it's true for all children, uh, maybe it's just some. For me, it was definitely the case. And I realized through my own journey, it's taken me many years to get to a point where I could become quote unquote coachable, where I could receive the feedback, where I could, uh, where, where I got to a point that, yes, I can take everyone's opinion with a grain of salt, but I don't ultimately know whose opinion is going to be best moving forward until I choose to listen, which goes back to Casey's point, and that's the whole concept of silence. And the, the thing that I was going to ask the two of you is, do you think silence is underrated or undervalued in today's day and age? I mean, is, is that even... I, I know it's possible to be silent, but considering the amount of stimuli and everything that's available, I find it challenging. I don't know. Yes, how it's very you. challenging. And I think, you know, it's not even uh, readily practiced. You know, uh, I, you know, I think about a lot of people who have these experiences where they go with the monks and, you know, uh, be there for a few months, you know, in solitude and, you know, have this time um, really finding out who they are and doing this introspection. And um, not very many people, I think, would be able to do that, would be able to handle it. And, you know, I think that's really where we should start in the beginning. You know, you think about it, when you have your kids and I'm guilty, you know, even now I could be doing something and I'm like, hey, take my phone, go over there for a few minutes while I finish this interview. You know what I mean? So you give them things to stimulate them rather than saying, hey, take this notebook and this pen and write a story. When you get done, you know, by the time you get finished, you know, make some pictures and then we'll talk about it when I get done. I mean, we just don't, even encourage, you know, people to have that time by themselves. 
you know. Um, but I think a lot of it is we're not really in a position where we've been equipped to handle our emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know how to handle them. So we avoid that moment alone to the point to where we're picking up all kinds of um, coping things. You know, whether it's watching TV, getting on the internet, scrolling, it's like we want to run away from having time with ourselves in order Mm -hmm. to keep up the uh, idea that everything is good in the world. And, you know, if we're having a bad experience, it's a reflection sometimes of us rather than something bad happening outside of us. Mm. Did did either of you have to learn the emotions part on your own or was that taught to you as a child? How to process your emotions? How to even acknowledge them? I definitely had to learn that as an as, as an adult and I think if I had learned that my journey would be so much different. You know, but as a result of really you know because you're faced with certain emotions um but you know I was just listening to a conversation a couple days ago and um to me just breaking it down to a very practical literal way i'd say emotions um are a reflection of you living you know if you're not living you don't have any emotion <clears throat> you know you think about it a tv doesn't have any emotion you know anything that's not living does not have an emotion it's the emotion that you're able to channel into the energy that you put towards things. You know, so for example, if you're motivated, that's an emotion, maybe, right? Uh, it inspires you to take action. So when you're able to harness the emotions, even fear, you know, if you can harness fear in a way that propels you in a positive way, you can still determine a better future for yourself by knowing how to navigate with that fear. So I think, you know, the emotions just remind us that we're living, but it's the interpretation that's the issue. You know, if I can say, oh, I'm so afraid and I don't want to do anything, you know, um, that's a real challenge trying to overcome that thought process. Mm. When I think of emotions people i think can lump emotions and feelings together which is Mm -hmm. fine i think that makes sense sometimes but if you really parse it out i've I've heard that emotions are sort of thought fueled feelings so if you think of thoughts emotions and then feelings um, you know a feeling of surprise you didn't have time to really think about it a feeling of a bungee jumping. I mean, you're not really thinking, you're just doing. So a lot of feelings we have, um, you know, emotions are something that's, that's really a feeling derived from a, from a thought. And so um, a sadness, someone passes away and, and, you know, you have that emotion of sadness. It could be a feeling of sadness. I, I don't think there's a real, real um, fine demarcation between, but that's sort of how I, I get my, how, how I discern the two. Sometimes they're just synonyms and they're the same thing. To, to your point about the sound and the silence, when you think about sound, sound is made up of the sound vibration and 
the non-sound vibration. So sound is the sound on and the sound off. It's a wave. The world is a vibration. We work in waves. Um, Wi-Fi is waves. Sound is waves. You can't see it. You can hear it, but we don't see it with our eyes. We can't touch it. But when you think of a sound, when you think of music, if you just had straight sound and the sound never turned off, there's no song without sound. A drum beat has the beat and it's got the off part. And that's what life is, is on and off and on and off. And I think to us in the world, when you think about silence, silence is has been stolen from us. And you don't need to go to an ashram. You don't need to go into the woods, even though it's good. But, you know, taking that time off is essential. We are so caught up in productivity. We're so caught up in Zoom meetings. We're so caught up in apps. And everything is on, on, on. And I'm all about action. But like you said about your training for the triathlete, Oleg, the reason there's days off during those six months is because that's essential to the days on. And it's not just that your muscles need to rest or that you need to get ready, but you literally, if you're on all the time, you're not on. You're not on. You need the off in relation to the on. You need the background so you can see the foreground. You need it all. You need the court jester to the to the serious. You need the giants just like you need the Dodgers. It's as simple as that, right? And so the I think one of the main issues that we're so stressed out, I think the main one of the main issues that we have so much neurological uh, uh, just this threat and this plague of neurological issues in children and people nowadays, that there's so much medication, there's so much depression, there's so much anxiety. There's so much of this is that we're always on. It is celebrated, no pain, no gain. It is celebrated to be hustling. It is celebrated to burn the midnight oil. And I mean, you look at Elon Musk and he's even come out to say how he slept under his desk, how yeah. he's done all of that. And still the does, I think, to a degree. Still probably. does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has five children and we don't hear much about his family life, but I don't think he's nearly as successful in his family life as he is in his in his business life. I'm guessing, I'm speculating just based on the, the small amount of data that I have. But I know that to be a successful parent, to be a successful person in any relationship, you need to be there. And if he's tweeting from Hollywood or New York, he is not with his children in South Africa. Mm. I'm just telling you. But that's fine. That's the choice he makes. So when he's prioritizing and I'm going to try not to judge, but I'm just saying he is always on and we celebrate that always onness. And I think I really feel or I emote that celebrating that is incorrect. It is mm. not natural for us. And this goes back to Descartes in France in the 1600s, which I think Western philosophy is based on, cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am. 
and it celebrated the intellect. And that goes against, unfortunately, so much of what the sages have said. The kingdom of heaven is within. Buddha said the middle way. Uh, the Jewish Kabbalah talks about introspection. But Descartes said in 1600s, and then the Industrial Revolution happened, and who wants to meditate about industry? Let's just get the shit out the door. Um, and that's where we've gone. It, it brings up an interesting point. At least it's an interesting point for me. At what point did either of you learn how to compromise? I asked my aunt actually this question the other day because we were just talking about both of our plates being full with you know all these different things that we chose. And I'm curious, like in both of your cases, you're you're experiencing a, a slightly different journey than I am. Like I don't have kids and um, many of the things that many of the experiences that you guys have been through. When did you learn or at what point did it make sense to you that, hey, in order for me to sustain my family, I have to be able to make a compromise here? Or I don't know if that's even the right word, sacrifice, whatever the term you want to use. Like when did that make sense that, hey, in preserving all these things, I have to make X, Y, and Z decisions. Otherwise, I'm going to go singular down this route and completely abandon the other routes. I think this is a great question because this kind of goes along with the narrative of believing that there's balance and juggling everything that you're responsible for. And uh, I think the things that are important to you you will prioritize for. Um, I think being aware of things being out of your control, how people perceive the time that you're spending with them or the gifts that you give them or the conversations that you have, you know, that goes back to really giving your power away. I think it is very important to communicate your desires and things that you're striving for uh, with your family. However, you know, we're leaders of ourselves and there are times that, you know, it's not a democracy. You know, if I'm building my business for something that I have vision for, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to always get buy-in from my children. And matter of fact, they joke about it all the time. They're like, Every time we turn around, you're on Clubhouse or you're doing this or, you know, and to me, I think that's a part of the cost that we have to pay when it comes to having a business or with certain occupations that we have, you know, you don't have the ability to be at both places at the same time. Mm. However, it is a situation of when you are off being committed to that time off. There's time that I take uh, off and my kids are nowhere around. They're out at the movies with their friends or whatever. And so in their mind, they're like, oh, you're always working. But the time that I'm off, they're not around. You know, mm -hmm. so I think it's back to the perspective. Uh, but I think to believe that there is a compromise um, that we can make, I think that's the problem. You know, I had that mindset during my depression of thinking, if I just give here, then I'm going to get this return. And that to me is setting you up for disaster. But having that reality that if you're working, you can't be uh, at the park with your kids. You know, you mm -hmm. have to be intentional 
you know, with the time, that's just like, you know, if you're doing this recording right now, I'm not on my emails, <laughs> you know, I am not doing a newsletter, you know, and so we have this mindset of thinking we can do both and that we can do everything successfully, but it's being intentional with what you choose to do and prioritizing for it that I believe gives you the best reward because from that you reap the harvest of something that you're fully present in rather than just half doing this or half doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that many times throughout my own life, <laughs> going half in on many of the things and, and expecting different results. I, there's mm -hmm. a quote, I think it said something along the lines of doing the same thing, but expecting a different result like definition of insanity or, or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That's and it. That's it. I, I, I was in that, but it, you bring up a really good point as well in regard to illusion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How many of the stories are told through the lens of an illusion, mm -hmm. thinking that you're doing something that serves you when ultimately it's not, or thinking that not taking action in certain things is going to move you forward. And maybe it is in some ways, like going back to the point of taking the time to rest, Mm -hmm. And to be silent, um, I, I I believe there's value in it, but that's only because I've proved it to myself. There is value in that, you know. I, I've I've heard both sides of the story, and then there was a point where I just said I have to try it out. I'm curious. I'm curious to see where is the line between the two, between going go go go, and then between taking a day off, taking two days off, taking a week off, however long you need or however long I need to be able to move forward. So yeah, I, I think the what I'm taking away from this reflection, taking the time to reflect through not choosing to quote unquote act, even though it's still inaction is still action at times, um, can lead to some of those things. I know that this is a conversation we can have for hours upon hours knowing the three of us, but <laughs> Just wanted to quickly open this up to ways that people can connect with you, learn more about your work, learn about anything that you have coming up. And Lachelle, I'm going to start with you. All right. Well, thank you again for this conversation. Of Lots of content for me to ponder on uh, after we get yeah, off. Please share all of that, like screenshot or I'm sure I mean, Melody it's would just amazing. It. Yeah. I mean, you know, great conversations are something that um really i i am so grateful for and uh, you don't always have people that you can connect with to uh, have these type of dialogues but mm -hmm. i think this is really one of the ways that you're able to grow is uh, asking better questions so that you can uh implement and take action on some of these things whether it's even just beginning to question people within your sphere of influence about some of these questions just to see where their head is you know to challenge us uh out of our comfort zone uh but i can be found everywhere i am on uh, linkedin facebook uh all under lachelle atkins or america supermom uh, i'm very passionate about mental wellness about strategies and tools that i can share with other women and moms about uh, how they can navigate through life, you know, everyday life. You know, we talk about having the business and, you know, being the parent, but it's sometimes those little things that could take us out. You know, the mindset of thinking that we do have to 
do everything in the house. You know, we can't uh, get help from our children with something as simple as chores. You know, I was there. I was doing everything. My kids were uh, having their feet uh, up on the couch or whatever, relaxing while I'm over here feeling like a slave doing everything <laughs> until I learned differently. So I think it's just even being able to implement practical things that allow us to take that time to reflect and shift and change our mindset so that we are able to be better versions of ourselves and show up uh, as someone that's fully present with the right amount of oxygen that they've given themselves first before they're trying to help other people. So um, thanks so much for having me today. I really enjoyed um, it. Thank you. You know, there's something that you said, actually, there's something that both of you have said throughout this. It reminded me of a movie I recently watched called The Atom Project. Uh, My daughter for me, it was saw a fascinating, that the other day. Yeah, I haven't it was seen a fascinating it. film. And there's one line that I even took down that I think speaks to this point of as I mature or as I age, I forget certain things. And that line is, uh, he said, it's easier to get angry than it is to be sad as you age. And I just thought it was so profound, like going back to Casey's point of feelings and understanding, you know, how you're feeling, how those turns into emotions and those thoughts and um, where people learn them. So it's just a really fascinating journey. Casey, what about you? Yeah, feel free to find me at uh, leavelawbehind.com. Uh, I help unhappy attorneys to leave their law job and find non-law careers they love, uh, are good at, and uh, that pays them well. Oh, you cut out for a second. Sorry. Uh, the very find last me at, part. Go ahead. Find me at leavelawbehind.com. I help unhappy attorneys to leave their law job and find non-law jobs that uh, they uh, really enjoy and love, that they're good at, and that pays them well. Mm. I want to thank the two of you. I want to thank Melody. Uh, for being a part of it. And uh, one last thing that I'll say is uh, looking forward to meeting you in person, Casey, as well as uh, our, Scott already met. Uh, Lachelle, we're putting together this event in, in Austin, uh, all around fears, helping people identify the origins of them and ultimately transform them. So I, I think it's um, not that I think I, I'm going to be honest. I this is a lineup of people that I truly believe in as well as you, Lachelle, like Nancy and everyone. I know that having worked with all of you for what, two years, maybe even longer than that. It's been, um, you know, it's been one beautiful journey mm -hmm. to be able to come in and into situations, especially where I don't know things about life and then have the opportunity to uh, learn all these things. So I'm looking forward to that in person and, Looking forward to meeting you in person as well, Lachelle. Uh, one of these days, I'm sure it will happen. And uh, I want to thank Melody as well for choosing to tune in, sharing all of her insights. Uh, Melody, if you have anything coming up as far as projects goes, please put them in the comments, and then we'll make sure to share them. And outside of that, just want to thank the two of you for being a part of this. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, 
consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.